Our central text this morning is from Philippians 4, 14 through 20. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble, and you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of God. Thank you, Kristen. Hey, good morning, everybody. Um, so we're going to talk about everybody's favorite subject to talk about in church, money. Yeah, so, uh, but not really money. We're talking about generosity, and I just want to recognize that any time a guy like me gets up and does this, you got a lot of barriers up, um, and for good reason. And so I want to pray against that because uh, this has been a great passage. It's worked through my heart during the week. Uh, and I, I think there's so much as we close out this series. So just really want to challenge all of us to just let's pray uh, to really think through this. So, Lord, um, as we talk about something that is rooted uh, to the gospel, Lord, we are here, for those of us who follow you, because of the generosity of God lavished upon us in the riches of Christ. And, Lord, you are generous to us. And I just pray for the next 25, 30 minutes, the world would fade away, maybe 35 minutes, and that your spirit would really soften us to really ask ourselves some really important questions. Am I generous? Am I as generous as I can be? Do I want to be more generous? And I do ask that spirit. I, I want all of us here to be more generous and help us to understand what that means in your name. Amen. All right. Um, if you get the sermon preview, you might recognize this, but, you know, there's a lot of gaps in society that we've closed as a culture. You know, gaps in education, opportunities, uh, gaps in wages, but there's a gap right now that nobody really seems to be paying attention to, and yet, uh, if it's not dealt with, it's growing every day. In the future, this could be really catastrophic for a lot of organizations, and it's what the Barna Group calls the generosity gap. Uh, the Barna Group, they do a lot of the data work uh, along with the uh, Lilly Foundation with any university. They did a lot of studies, and you know what? For the first time in American history, about a couple years ago, less than 50% of Americans give in, uh, charitably, make any sort of charitable contribution. And the numbers aren't great either when we give. Did you know that for those who do give, the average gift, the annual gift they give is just 1.3% of their annual income. Now, think about this. During the Great Depression, the vast majority of Americans gave, and it was triple that. It was 3.3%. We're seeing a decrease in giving among generations. Uh, only 13% of millennials give. Uh, only 6% of Gen Zers give. And I, I want to be clear, that's not to say that somehow youth today. Wow, what's their problem? They're so selfish. No. We're generous. 
But what's happening is that it's just not showing up in terms of charitable giving. What does all of that mean? I don't know. I'm not a social psychologist. It's not my wheelhouse. But there's a couple things that really stand out from this passage to help us understand what are some of the factors that contribute to our lack of generosity. And the first is community. Why would I say community? Well, think about it. When you're in community, what happens? You're immediately presented with more needs. You're going to know people, friends who have needs. You're going to know people who maybe work for charitable organizations or causes, and they're going to ask you to do what? They're going to ask you to partner. They're going to, you're going to get involved. Well, one of the things that we know studies have shown about younger generations is they're very isolated. They've been told since preschool, go find your own identity, do your thing apart from the community, apart from the tribe, and it's showing up. There's just less opportunities presented to other generations, younger generations. But it's not just the younger generations contributed. There's another thing that we see in the passage. The Philippians were some of the most generous people and yet lived very modest, very simple lives. They were poor. And we don't have a lot of simplicity. Simplicity is a major barrier. If we don't have simplicity, we, it's really hard to be generous. If we're, if we're constantly pulled in a million directions, our calendars are full. Our lives are complex. We have so many financial commands. There are apps that exist to help you know what services you've signed up for that you forgot about. And we have to pay for that service too. Multiple streaming services, multiple student loans, multiple uh, you know, car payments. It's simply hard to be generous when we are tapped out. But the church in Philippi, did you know this? They were the most generous church of all in the New Testament. Their lives were flooded with community. Their hearts were full. And they had very little meager resources. And it's because they responded to the generosity of God with incredible eagerness. So this is the last one in our series. And we're going out with a bang, talking about money. But I just want to humbly ask us questions we just asked earlier. Am I as generous as I can be? Do I want to be more generous? And what are some of the things that are preventing me from doing that? So there's three things we're going to look at this morning. And if your bladder's screaming at you, just know point one's a lot longer. So don't panic and do the math and say, well, geez, we still have this to do, right? Community and its impact and generosity. We're going to lay the foundation and really spend a lot of time on that. Two, simplicity and its impact on generosity and then the generosity of God. So let's take a look, and let's look at the first point. Now, as we mentioned last week, at the end of this letter, the Apostle Paul's writing a thank you note uh, to the church in Philippi. He's thanking them for a gift that they gave him, because if you remember, what have we said? The Apostle Paul's in prison, and the Romans did not provide any sort of resources for those who were incarcerated. If you didn't have people from the outside giving to you, you would die. So their gifts were very meaningful. It kept Paul alive. But one of the things that Paul's doing, he's not just saying, thank you. He's a spiritual father, and he's proud of his spiritual children. There are these moments as parents where you just, you give and you give, and it's just all one-sided. You're sacrificing, and all of a sudden, your kid does something empathetic, and you're blown away like, wow, you have empathy, well, you just did something for me. That was so kind. And how do you feel as a parent? You're just excited because you, what are you saying? You're growing. Well, that's what Paul sees. Not just thanks for the gift. Now I can survive. Now I can go do ministry. No. 
He's seeing it that, look, here's a man who laid his life on the line. He almost died in Philippi. And he just poured the gospel into them over and over again. And when he sees that they're responding financially, what is he saying? He's saying, in the beginning of the gospel, is what he's saying. You partnered. He sees a, one of the fruits of understanding the gospel is it leads to a more generous life, that you're looking to meet the needs of others. Paul would come in here today, and if he said, you know, I hear you got a generosity gap, do you know what he would say? That's a gospel gap, a gap, a hole in understanding the gospel. Because look at what he does. In verse 18, he says this. He says, I've received full payment, but I am, I want you to know this. The gifts you sent, they're a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. He's using the language of Old Testament temple sacrifices here. He has the audacity to say that your gifts are on, literally on the same level of the gifts that the people made in the temple. And what did, what did people do back then? They came to the temple with the first fruits of their offerings. They came with the best, the choicest of animal sacrifices. They came and they gave. And you know what that meant? When somebody walked into the temple, they were saying to God, they were saying, I worship you. Everything I have is yours. Because when I give, do you know what that means? It, it makes me vulnerable, doesn't it? When we give, we are, we are saying, I'm not in control of everything, including my stuff. And it takes incredible trust to, to really show up and say, you know, God's going to take care of me. God's going to provide for me. But beyond that, if you are reading the book of Leviticus, and I guarantee nobody in here is reading it right now, but if you were to read the book of Leviticus, I know it's a hard book. There's all these weird things, ceremonies, uh, laws, blood seems to be dripping from the pages. But if you, if you stay through it and just press on, do you know what you'll find? You'll see a community committed to radical generosity towards one another. You've got landowners who literally would not squeeze out and max out profits so they could care for the marginalized members of society. You had people who had bought property from people who were in poverty. And you know what they would do in the year of Jubilee? They would give back that property to the original landowner. People were sharing, people were giving. And you know what? That makes us all incredibly twitchy and nervous who live in a capitalistic society. And what's the point? Paul's saying this, he's saying, your gifts are an act of worship. I'm sure you've heard that a million times from churches. It's an act of worship, but he's saying it literally is. Because if, if they gave, imagine how much more those of us, this side of the cross, should give. Because we have more, and I'm not, just, I'm not talking material-wise, okay? We probably have a lot more than they did. But we have Christ. <laughs> I mean, we have God's greatest gift lavished upon us, all the spiritual blessings. And Paul's point is simply this. If we who have Christ, should it then mean we give less? Our generosity is connected to worship. And I'm just going to dig the knife in just a little bit further and make us even more twitchy. In the book of Acts, you've got this incredible moment where there's only 120 Christians on the earth. Apostle Peter gets up, preaches the best sermon ever. The Holy Spirit comes, and thousands come to Christ. Pentecost, right? I mean, this is the moment of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? Two verses later, do you know what you find? You see a people gathered. 
And not only they're just gathering, look at verse 44. They had all things in common. They were selling their possessions. So the Holy Spirit comes. This is right after Jesus resurrected and 40 days later, all that. And they're selling their things. They're in community. They're distributing their belongings to all has need. Now, I don't know. (laughs) I have a lot of sympathy for Thomas Jefferson for having a Bible in which he cut out verses he didn't like. Because you know what? I'd like to cut that one out. I mean, that makes me incredibly uncomfortable. But see, Paul is saying generosity is a reflection of the fruit of the gospel in our lives. This is why the writer of Hebrews says it this way, do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Part of our lack of generosity is really understanding how the gospel, when it comes into our lives, it reshapes how we view community and our lives and how we view our own possessions. There is nothing in the New Testament that suggests there is a path to following Jesus that involves you, the, you repent, Holy Spirit comes in your life, and all of a sudden you go live a very isolated life that's unburdened by the needs of others. This word partnership contrib- I mean, just continues over and over in this passage because the Apostle Paul, one of the things we see is that the people in the church, they were grateful that the gospel had come to them. And they saw themselves knit together. They saw themselves as people who were family. And you know what family does? They, we care for one another. We take care of one another. Family share. Now, I'm going to stop right now, okay? This is that point in the sermon where you're either tuning out, you're like, well, this is a bit heavy. And I'm going to stop because, you know what? I know what's happening in some of your brains right now. Some of you might even be checking the back of the bulletin on that little page that says what our budget is. And some of you are listening, like, oh, this is good, but hang on a second. Okay, well, they're behind. Okay, well, I know what's going on. It's almost December, and December is like the year-end giving thing, okay? This is like the time of year to give. And I know he's a pastor. He's been dispatched to lay it on thick before the year's end because we got to maximize our opportunities here. Let me just say something. Over the years, one of the, I've gotten a lot of critiques, and many deliveries so, but do you know one of the number one critiques I've gotten? I'm not kidding. Both positively and negatively. You guys don't ever talk about money here. Some like that, and some have said, why don't you? And my reply to that is this. Our commitment is to preach the agenda of the text that is right in front of us. Okay? So whatever is the agenda of the text, what is next is what we'll preach, and that's why we're talking about it today, because it is how this book closes. And I want to say something. I, I want you to really dial in here. I'm not talking about tithing right now. Did you know that in the New Testament, tithing is not actually a slam dunk? I actually said that right. Tithing is not a slam dunk. There are, there's only one area in all of the New Testament that at least gives us this principle of 10% of your earnings continuing. And it's from Jesus Christ himself. He's talking to the Pharisees, these guys who tithe. 
but their hearts are far from God. And they say, he says, you do give a tenth of your spices, your mint, your dill, and your cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. But look how he finishes it. He says, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. But Jesus didn't say, and that's before tax, and that's, or that's after tax. He didn't say that's before retirement or after retirement. He didn't say to whom? To parachurch, charitable giving, giving to friends, giving to missionaries? Do you have to give t- more than 10% when you do that? And then Paul says this elsewhere. He says, each one of you must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctant or compulsion. Wait, wait a second. Decided in his heart and not under manipulation, not under guilt, not under shame. Because what does God want from us? A cheerful giver. Now, I know what some of you are thinking now. Whew, that's a lot better than I thought then before. I don't really have to tithe, and I'll tithe when, it, when I'm cheerful. And to which I'd say, it's worse. Don Carson, and you can Google this. Uh, Don Carson, uh, he, you know, he helped found the Gospel Coalition. He's a great New Testament scholar. He said this, you know, all these, he wrote a great article in 1999, it's just one page, just Google it and, and read it, it's easy read, about tithing. And here's what he said, he said, and all these questions about when and whom and how much and all that, we're asking the wrong question. We are asking the wrong question. The question we need to ask, the question I need to ask is simply this, how can we manage our affairs better so we can give more? We don't need to ask how much. The real question that I need to ask is how can I, Chaz Morse, manage my affairs better so I can give more? This passage is talking about a lifestyle of generosity because what did we see? No, it people were generous. The laws made you generous. Well, we're on this side of the cross. Tithing just falls into that larger category of a lifestyle of generosity. And I want to be clear, generosity is not an emotion. It's an action. So it's not something we just do seasonally or convenient. Paul has laid on a thick for us. It's a response to the gospel. And as it penetrated deep into your life where it makes you generous towards others and it might hurt and it should. Oh my. There's a direct correlation, as we see here, between generosity and community. Because as the gospel has come into your life, you're going to have more people in your life. You're going to be in close proximity to one another, and you're just going to learn more about. You're going to learn about feed the need. You're going to learn about missionaries. You're here on furlough. You're going to learn about our budget. You're going to learn about things in our community because you're part of a community. And the gospel's in your life, you're going to be in community and you're going to learn more about things. And for all our flaws for the church of Jesus Christ, did you know that the most generous people in our country are regular churchgoers? And I'm not just talking about that they give to their church, I'm talking about charitable giving and to nonprofits. Erica Anderson, this is a long quote, but this is a really good one. She wrote a great uh, article a couple years ago on this, the effect between community and giving. And she said this, Let's all be thoughtful and read through this, okay? You may be thinking, I don't have to go to church to be a generous person. And, of course, that's true. But the data shows that going to church makes a big difference. 
because most tithing comes from those who attend church regularly. And the ripple effect on society is unbelievable. Data and personal stories reveal that church begins to change people for the better from the inside out, even when they don't even realize it. It transforms individuals and communities in ways that are not immediately obvious. For example, just attending Sunday services makes us significantly more generous, kind, and compassionate. This is data-driven, by the way, toward our neighbors. It creates a stronger bond among members of the local community, and it turns newspaper headlines into human faces and prayer requests into tear-stained cheeks you witness in sacred vulnerability. People don't decrease their giving on purpose when they're not in church. It's not a conscious choice. They're no less compassionate or caring. They're simply less aware of being in the vicinity of need. And they lose the opportunity to easily explain their generosity. Going to church just isn't about us and our personal spirituality. The church, this is how God works through his people and provides for the vulnerable. It's how he moves heaven and earth to bring peace and freedom and you know what maybe diapers and breakfast and christmas presents for children and impoverished families that quote is fire when we give it is an act of worship of response to the gospel and it increases our vulnerability i don't just tell a personal story here and i hope i don't lose my reward in heaven for this but <laughs> When I was in college, I started tithing. I was a new Christian. I became a Christian in college, of all places, of fraternity house, and from there on, there we went. But, you know, somewhere along the way, year two of a Christian, maybe three, I started tithing. It was five bucks a week, because I had 50 bucks a week. That's what I made. And it was little. Uh, then I graduate college, and I move off to Chicago in my, my former life, my former career, and you know what? I tithe 10% of my income from day one. After tax, but then I get married, and you know what? We start tithing more. We start doing before tax. And then, then the church we went to, they needed a special gift for building, and we, we gave above a tithe for the first time. And then it was missionaries and Compassion International children and other things, nonprofits. And if you, I'll, I hope I don't lose, please don't let me lose my reward in heaven on this. But if you looked at my tax return, I can guarantee you'd say they're generous. You said they're generous people. But two and a half years ago, my wife left her job. We took all of our savings and put it into a business that she runs and went over budget. And our cash was like zero. We've been doing paycheck to paycheck for two and a half years, and that is really hard to do in Western North Carolina. And for the first time in my life, tithing hurt. And you know what it revealed to me? Oh, my tax returns say I'm generous, but you know what was actually revealing my heart? I didn't trust God. And I felt resentful when I would tithe. Fact, I'm Presbyterian. I do not believe in prosperity gospel, but I would tithe and literally I'm like, where's the blessings coming now? You know, like all of a sudden I flipped the switch and I'm charismatic, you know, like, like, why didn't you give me a blessing? You know, like, I don't even believe that. But listen, it revealed there's a lack of generosity. How did I keep going through? Do you know why it kept me going? And to keep doing it, it's you. That's why. Because this is a community, and it matters that I contribute to this. The people I love that I work with, it matters. The people that I believe in that are leaders that serve, the mission, the values, feed the need, the, 
missionaries this church supports when I didn't feel like doing and I did not feel cheerful and I wasn't, uh, my faith wasn't doing great in that area. It was people. It was community that kept me being able to do it. And I believe now more than ever, it truly is an act of worship and it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. All right. I forgot that quote. Don't worry about it. <laughs> it was a good one. You can read it later. Right, let's talk. All right, we're going to be a lot shorter as we round the bin here. Um, it's not just community. It's also simplicity of lifestyle. Uh, it may not stand out in our text. Obviously, nothing says simplicity will contribute to generosity in our text. I know that. But if you go and you look uh, later, the Apostle Paul in his second letter to the church in Corinth What's he doing? He's talking about, when he says Macedonia, he's talking about Philippi. And he says, look, look at their affliction. You know, extreme poverty, overflowing in a wealth of generosity. He's, he's trying to impart generosity out of the Corinthians by saying, I want you to look at your brothers and sisters. And I want you to understand something. You know, they have very little. You know, someone in our Money Bible said he was, you know, he was from Mississippi uh, said, you know, Mississippi is known for being number one for a lot of bad things, you know, or being last in things. I'm sorry, last, last in football, um, <laughs> last in education, last in public health. But you know what Mississippi's number one at? Poverty. You know what they're also number one at? Generosity. Their most giving state in our country, and they are the poorest State And, and I, I think there's something, like, why is that? Why have so many of you, you have traveled overseas and somebody who had nothing invited you into their home with immense hospitality you've never witnessed before? And they literally would give the shirt off your back and you just feel, wow, I don't even know if I should do this. Why is there that connection? Why is the church of Philippi the poorest and yet the most generous? And I'm sure there are many factors and I don't know them all. But one of the things that I think we can say is there is a direct collection, uh, correlation between simplicity of lifestyle and generosity. There is a direct correlation. John Stott, has anybody ever heard of John Stott before? Some of you have. Uh, theologian, um, priest, he was a great author. And he had over 60 books that he contributed on, most of which he wrote, and he was due royalties for all of them. And you know what he did with those royalties? He never touched them. Instead, every single one of those royalties went into a trust. And a lot of people don't know this about John Stott. He's an incredible person, but he never received one penny from those. And by the time he died, do you know that trust was worth millions? Millions. And that trust founded the Langham Partnership, which contributes to pastors who live in parts of the world where they have nothing. And they have no training and no education. And this, this partnership supplies all of that for them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have it. And people know it about John Stott. You say, well, what, what kind of man was he? You know what? He had a very modest flat in London. He ate simple meals. In fact, at times he would forego meals to feel the pain of brothers and sisters across the world of their hunger. And people even said, you know, he had this famous blue blazer he'd wear, and it was threadbare. Very simple. Simple life leading to generosity. And here's what he said. He said, you know what? Life on earth is a brief pilgrimage between two moments of nakedness. So we would be wise to travel light. Those of us who live in affluent circumstance 
must accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. Let me read that again. Those of us who live in affluent circumstances must accept our duty to develop a simple lifestyle in order to contribute more generously to both relief and evangelism. How foreign does that sound to all of us? What a foreign concept to us. Seriously, how many of us really think like that? I know I have spent my life thinking about how. But this kind of thinking was not foreign to the Apostle Paul, and it certainly wasn't to John Stott. Generosity does not mean you must take a vow of poverty. Generosity does not mean neglect your family at all. It never does that. But generosity demands we ask a very important question that we will ask again. How can we, how can you and I manage our affairs better so that we can give more? And I know all of us here would have very different answers, but I want to supply another list this week because it was so popular last week. But apparently I didn't use numbers, so it didn't count last week. So now I have numbers on my list. But I've got four things that I think really do serve as barriers to our generosity. And the first is debt. Debt. Debt is not simple. And there is nothing in, from Genesis to Revelation that says debt is God's will for your life. Not one. Romans says, let no debt remain outstanding except the continue debt to what? <laughs> Live generously, love one another. Now, I understand, my goodness, stuff happens. And we live in a culture that doesn't even think twice about debt. It's just such a normal part of our lives and things happen. But again, you know how debt starts? It's when we fail to ask the question, how can we manage our affairs better so we can give more? And when we're not asking that question, then we, you know what happens? What's another car payment? What's another thing on the credit card? Debt decreases our ability to be generous. And I would be so bold as to say debt demonstrate a heart that is more committed to generosity towards self and paying high increased rates for that generosity towards self than doing whatever it takes to meet the needs of others. And the worst part is it creates an endless cycle that is so hard to get out on from beneath them. This is not to shame, it's not to guilt, and no, it's hard. And student debt and all these things. But Paul, when he says it is the continuing debt to love one another. Do you know what his life looked like? It was full. Philippians is full of joy. His, his life is just flooded with people. He loves. Nobody's miserable doing any of these things. Two, we're, I think we're using the wrong term, giving. <laughs> Let's do giving today. Actually, I think Paul would say you're using the wrong term. If you look at verse 17, he says, not that I seek to give, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. He sounds like a wealth manager. Instead of calling it giving, we should also think of it as an investment. I mean, again, Paul's not a prosperity gospel saying, if you give, you will get this next week, you know? He's not talking about material things exclusively here. 
but he is bullish on kingdom returns. And I want you to really think through this. You and I would not be here this morning without the generosity and the investment these people 2,000 years ago made in the kingdom of God. The church in Philippi, you would not have the Bible today that you, you have without their investment in the kingdom of God. And we are reaping the benefits of that. This is not a time to be altruistic and say, well, I'm just going to put my head down and give. Jesus was bullish. He unrewards. He said, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, even including water given in my name, you did it for me. That means Jesus sees our generosity. He sees our heart that extends water or something else in his name. And he will meet that. He will provide for our needs in this life. He was already provided everything for our spiritual needs. But in the life to come, <laughs> it's not altruism. He is talking about meeting those with his reward. Three, I would say we simply underestimate our margins. When we are so busy, do you know what happens? It's hard to be generous when we're so busy, isn't it? And it's hard. Like, how hard is it to be compassionate when we're so busy and pulled in a million directions, and we also have a really hard time staying in community? When our calendars are full, our weekends are taken up with going here to see this person, going to this sports thing, going to this event, and we're just pulled and pulled and pulled our counters just take control, don't they? And again, it comes back to that question. How can we manage our affairs better so we can give more? And lastly, don't wait until you feel cheerful. God loves a cheerful giver. He does not want you to give out of shame, guilt, or manipulation but if you wait till you're cheerful, you will never give it all. Listen, actions of love lead to feelings of love. I don't always feel like loving my wife, that she deserves it. But when I choose to do it, when I don't feel like doing it, the feelings often follow. And that has happened. That happens so often. How many of you were nervous about helping out and feed the need? And you're like, I don't know about this. I don't know if this helps. I, I don't know. Should I really give to this? Should I, do I have the time to do this? And you know what? You showed up, you brought food, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, an hour and a half, an hour later, you're knocking on somebody's door, giving that food away. And when you came back here, what did you do in the lobby? You sing the doxology. And then you said, what, can, what time is it next week? Because I'll be here. You did it. You didn't feel like it. But man, you walked away and your heart was flooded with worship. I, I can't tell you how many times I walked in here on Wednesday and people are singing, singing after just pouring themselves out. You took the step. How do we get the power to do any of this? Because I know I think this passage has laid it on thick, but there's nothing in us that ever do this until we understand the power for this. And it's this, it's the generosity of God reflected in the gospel. Jesus Christ this is the gospel. He left heaven. He had everything. The riches of heaven, the presence of his father, a world without pain, a world without suffering, betrayal, rejection, a world without death. And Jesus Christ came to this earth. Why? Because we are spiritually impoverished. That's why. That's the gospel. 
We are spiritually bankrupt. And we're told this, it is for the riches, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The gospel is this, is that you have nothing. And Jesus Christ has everything. And he gave his everything away for you. And I would argue that one of the reasons we also lack generosity is this, is we just don't understand or or really comprehend the depth of our spiritual poverty that has been met by the generosity of God. And Paul says every need, he doesn't define it exclusively to material needs. It doesn't imply that you and I don't have material needs or that he didn't have these things in mind. But nevertheless, the gospel is that Jesus is here to meet our spiritual needs, and he has done that. In the abundance of the riches of Christ, Paul is communicating to us that God will certainly supply every spiritual need we have, and he will provide for us materially. Perhaps not in the way we might imagine, and certainly not always in our timing. But the promise is certainly coming, friends. Our spiritual richness that we have in Christ now will be made material one day. My goodness, the worst case scenario for any of us is that one day for all eternity, when we walk on the streets, it's gold. (laughs) Can you and I be generous without Jesus? Yes, of course we can. Plenty of people are generous on this earth who don't know Christ, but knowing Christ does this. It means our lives, they are shaped, they are restored, and they are governed by the generosity of God. And to be a Christian means it requires we You can't be a Christian, literally, until you learn how to receive the generosity of God. That's what it means to be a Christian, is you have received the generosity of God poured out to you through Christ. So as we close, I want to ask a worthy question. How much of our lives is truly governed and shaped by the generosity of God? And is our lack of generosity a reflection that There are parts of our hearts that's not been shaped by his generosity. Think about that. Is the lack of generosity that you see in your life, this is not here to make you feel terrible, it's just to reveal gospel deficiencies and areas of your heart that you have not let generosity of God conquer. Because God wants every single in this room to live out of his generosity, for it to melt our hearts, for it to shape how we steward our lives, our community, and our resources. To our God and Father be glory forever. Amen. Lord, we um, have a passage <laughs> and a holiday weekend, but uh, a necessary, necessary. And I get the sense, Lord, you are calling us to really embrace far deeper your generosity towards us. That in our lives, that Lord, whatever that we are not understanding about the gospel, that it is to be governed by your generosity. Lord, I pray that you would continue just to press in. And Lord, if this sermon or this passage has revealed areas in our lives where it reflect a lack of generosity, help us to understand that our generosity gap is a gospel gap and that all can be reconciled through continuing to trust and believe your word. It is in your name we pray.